Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. As I gather all my holy books, this week we begin a new worship series on the ordinances of God. And in order for that to make any kind of sense whatsoever, I want to read to you the inspiration for this worship series. And it comes from our beloved Book of Discipline. And there in our law book, which isn't that big compared to many law books, I want you to find there that it tells us of three rules that we have. It's a big book for three rules. Three rules that we have. It says that it is therefore expected of all who continue therein that they should continue to evidence their desire of salvation. Not that by doing these things you prove that you are saved, but that you merely would like to be. First, by doing no harm, by avoiding evil of every kind, especially that which is most generally practiced, such as, and there are examples there, I'll just read you my favorite, uncharitable or unprofitable conversation, particularly speaking evil of magistrates or of ministers. (laughs) The second, by doing good, by being in every kind merciful after their power, And as they have opportunity, doing good of every possible sort and as far as possible to all people. And thirdly, by attending upon the ordinances of God, such are the public worship of God, the ministry of the word either read or expounded, the supper of the Lord, family and private prayer, searching the scriptures, fasting or abstinence. And so our tradition in the United Methodist Church is that not only have we been given the two sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion, but there are other means of grace that God calls us to engage. And those are the things that I read to you. Public worship of God, the ministry of the word, the supper of the Lord, family and private prayer, searching the scriptures, fasting and abstinence. And we will be exploring those over the next few weeks. And so I hope you will continue to come and hear the ways in which these things are offered to us as a means of grace, a way by which God strengthens us, encourages us, and helps us to grow in our love for God and one another. And so today we begin with the public worship of God. And you might think to yourself, I'm sitting in worship. Do I really need to be told about the public worship of God? And the answer would be yes, because I don't know if you were here last Sunday, but if you were last Sunday, there were more people here last Sunday. So clearly not everyone understands this. In fact, there's someone who comes to our church only at Christmas and Easter, and on their connection card, they check regular attender. (laughs) Yes, they regularly attend Christmas and Easter. That's what they do. And... We call those, sometimes they're called Christers, Christmas and Easter people. Um, And just think about that. They come when Jesus is born and then after he's resurrected. Like those are the two points that they encounter Jesus Christ every year. I want you to imagine whether it's true or not that you're a parent. I want you to imagine that you have a child, but you only see this child at their birth and at their death. 
kind of relationship would that be? What kind of deeply, profoundly unfulfilled relationship would you have if all you ever encountered with this sacred being whom you love is at birth and death? God wants more. And quite frankly, I would argue that God deserves more. God has asked us out of the seven days of the week to come and visit one day a week. That's what God has asked us. And you might say to me, well, I, I engage in prayer or I do other things throughout the week. And God love you for that. I would like for all of us to have that kind of schedule. But worship as the body of Christ is unique. And nothing can take its place. Nothing. And to prove that, I would point you back to last week. That last week, worship was the culmination of the entire year. I'm an Easter person. I don't know if you can tell. I love Easter. And there is nothing like people coming together to worship the highest, holiest time when Christ resurrected from the grave. That is a powerful means of worship. And all week, people took the time, even after they said goodbye on Easter, to tell me and tell us, the staff, how important that worship was. They sent me emails they called me, they texted me, they sent me Facebook messages. If they saw me out in public, they grabbed me to tell me that that was incredible. To quote one person, it felt like a big party for Jesus. Absolutely. Why shouldn't it be a big party for Jesus? Worship should be a celebration. And God, from the very beginning in Scripture, intended for us to gather together to worship. The book of Exodus records for us that as soon as God liberated God's people from bondage in Egypt, God called them to Mount Sinai that there they would sign covenant and worship the Lord. And then as soon as that was over, the book of Exodus records not once but twice how to build a portable tent ministry so that they could keep worshiping God. And if you go back and you read the instructions for the tabernacle, that first house of worship, you'll discover that it was even explicitly stated where it should be. It was told to the people to erect it in the very center of their lives. They literally, when they came to a place that God told them to stop, erected the tabernacle and then built their homes around it. So that no matter where you were, you could look and see the tabernacle and see the presence of God filling it and know that all of life revolves around the house of God. Now, there was a time when they existed this way, that the people traveled for 40 years, that golden calf incident. For 40 years, they traveled around in this mode. And then when they finally entered into the promised land, things got a little sticky as they tried to figure out what that would look like because when they entered in and settled down, they dissipated. And they spread to fill the land from the north all the way down to the southern kingdom of Judah. And it would take quite a while for them to figure out that they needed to permanently build a place of worship. And they settled on Jerusalem and there built the walled version of the tabernacle, the temple. And when they did that, worship immediately took a hit. It immediately started to go down because people way up north said, I don't want to go all the way down to Jerusalem. And back then you had to go by foot and donkey. 
And they said, I don't want to go do that. This is so far. Why do I have to do this? And so people found excuses not to go to worship. Not that that ever still happens. It's clearly an Old Testament thing. And so people found ways to fill their Sabbath day rather than the way that God had always had them do it. Now, there was a time in American history where you couldn't walk two blocks without bumping into a Methodist church, right? Because there was always a church there. There are six in Stanton. Six in Stanton. And you know what that means? That means that sometimes when the pastor says something that a congregant doesn't like or when there's a fight between congregants, they just go to the next church. Literally, I have friends who are appointed there. They do this. Here, if I make you upset or if you make each other upset, we have to like marinate in it. Or you have to go be something else. Right? We have to work it out here. We have to figure out what's going on because this is it. This is our Methodist church. And so we have to work together. That's what God intended. That in coming together, we would be drawn to one another and have to work it out. That's what the book of Hebrews, which by the way is in the New Testament, says. Right? It says to us very clearly, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Right? Can we provoke each other to that instead of gossip and backbiting? Provoke each other to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. We're not even to the book of Revelation. There are already people who are scheduling their Sundays. There are already people who are forgetting why it is so important. That's why I'm talking to you about worship. Because worship matters that much. It is that important. People ask me all the time, does your week begin or end on Sunday? And you know what my answer is? Both. It is both the time where I draw here before the presence of God and I celebrate everything that has happened for the week. Sometimes you just celebrate that you made it through the week. And then you prepare yourself for the next. Sunday is both the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It is the way in which we as Christians are sustained. It is the way that God has organized our worship life to both celebrate the good and to equip us for whatever is on the other side of these walls so that we don't have to go out fearful and afraid. Because the truth is that worship will always prepare you for life. Worship equips you. It challenges you, sure, but it gives you what you need in order to get through every single day. And there are some times where we come here every week and we realize that over time, what we end up getting is thicker skin. We end up getting a heart that becomes impervious to some of the things that would threaten to become obstacles for us in our worship life and in our spiritual life. Because I don't care how bad my week is. I don't care what my bank account looks like. I don't care what people are saying about me. At the end of my week and the beginning of my next, I know that I'm going to come here and be with Jesus Christ. And we need that. This is the only place in the world where you can come and be an authentic Christian and not have people look at you like, oh, you're one of those. At 
There was a child that was playing in the tree while I was preaching. And his mother was looking at me like, am I a bad mom? No. That's what he wants to do right now. That's what he wants to do. Do you know how important worship is? That on Easter, at the end of the 930 worship service, a visiting family came up to me, and mom said to me about her child, my child liked this so much, he said, it's over, I don't want to go. <laughs> I would just say, raise your hand if you remember being in, in elementary school and saying that. I don't want to go home. Can't we stay here all day? You know, let's just roll into 11. Let's just do this more. That's how important worship is. It makes children want to stay in the house of God. Let me say that again. Good worship makes children want to stay here in the house of God. And if we don't invite them into that, if we don't encourage people to come here and be who they authentically are, then they will not stay here and the church will die. Instead, we are being called throughout the entirety of the Bible to ensure that our worship is vibrant. Now, I know I'm at 11 o'clock worship. I can tell because I'm wearing a stole and a rope. But I know that I'm at 11 o'clock worship, and I know that most of us were raised to be like, Hallelujah, Jesus, all on the inside. I know. You just keep it all in here. I understand. And you sit with really good posture. I understand that. But I want to tell you something. That one of the most important things that you can do to keep traditional worship alive is show that hallelujah on your face. Right? Sometimes I look at you and you all are giving me the death stare. And I may need that. I mean, let's just be honest. I don't know what I'm saying sometimes. I may need the death stare. But do you know what happens when children and youth are up here and they turn around and see you all giving them the death stare? When Lent started, I started inviting our youth that come to my Sunday afternoon study if they would lead the congregation in prayer. Do you know how many wanted to lead the congregation at 11? None. Do you know why? It's intimidating. That was their word. It's intimidating. When, I, when you stand up there and you look at, now you all are beautiful people. I know you can smile. Right? I know you can't. And if you smile, you are not betraying the tradition. I promise you. You are not betraying the tradition. Do you read in the New Testament the garbage that Jesus had to put up with? You know he smiled. Like, oh, Lord, I just really, yeah. You know that Jesus smiled. So it's okay. Tradition does not mean devoid of passion. Right? We are a people who recognize how important traditional worship is. There is, something there is something that reverberates the first creation story in our worship because it is orderly. It makes sense. I'm going to show you this other Methodist holy book. This is our law book. This is our book of worship. This is what the United Methodist Church says is important about worship. There is a greater emphasis on worship than law in the United Methodist Church. It's so important that when I went to seminary and I had to get my master's in divinity, my three-year master's degree, one whole year was spent on preaching, which I do none of that, by the way. I don't do anything they taught me to do. I hope it works. And the second thing they did was an entire year of liturgy. 
how to order a worship service, what's the appropriate way to officiate communion, all of these things. And then just because I have a master's degree hanging up in my office doesn't mean that the Virginia Annual Conference believed that I knew how to do it right. They made me film myself leading worship so that they could see if I knew what I was doing. Worship is that important in the Methodist church because 90% of people that will ever step into a United Methodist church do it for one hour on Sunday. That's how important worship is. Most of us have one hour to impact lives. Most of the people that have affiliation with this congregation, there were about 400 people that in some way that I would define as regular attend this church, 400 people, and most of them hear me for 20 minutes a week when I preach. That's if they come every, every week. So that is why worship is crucial. Worship makes all the difference to whether or not we are hearing. And sometimes when I'm preaching, people come up afterwards and go, it's like you were preaching to me. It's like you knew what I had been going on. I am not that bright, first of all. I don't know what's going on in your lives. And God never chooses to tell me everything that's going on in your lives. I do know this. I know that when I practice my spiritual disciplines and writing a sermon is a spiritual discipline, when you do that and when I pay attention to what God is saying, I need you to tell my people this and I do it, that's when you come back to me and go, it's like you were talking to me. It's like you knew. It's like I needed to hear you today. Because that's a miracle of worship. Your God, who hears you and knows you and loves you, and is leading you into a more righteous existence, tells ridiculous, hot mess me what you need to hear. And when I do that, that is a miracle. Can we just say that? That is a miracle. And worship is about every single one of us coming here and bringing our gifts. Now, did you notice how amazing y'all sounded today on the hymns? That's because the choir is sitting out here. All right, they're sitting out here with you. Normally, they're up there, right? They're up there, and they're bringing their gift for music to lead us in our musical offering to God. That's what they're doing. They're doing that. Now, at 930 at at the contemporary service, there's a lot more, like, chaos going on. It's more like the second creation story in Genesis where people are like Play-Dohing. It's kind of crazy. And one of the things that I said to them this morning is, this is your worship. If you need to stand up when we're sitting or sit down when we're standing, if you need to move around, run laps for Jesus, whatever it is that you think you need to do, that's fine. And if you're a child, I expect you to be a child. I don't expect you to be like on the inside. I don't expect that. I expect you to be a child. So if you're going to go over there and play in the tree, just don't knock the tree over. But that's fine. That's fine. Because that is what that child needed to do. And that's okay. And I know some of you are going, you should have made that child stop. I know that. I hear you. And I'm not listening. I want you to know that what we do in worship is important. You are here. And some days you are here just to hear the music that God has for you. Some days you are here just to hear 
two minutes of whatever sermon I'm supposed to be preaching because God has something to say to you. Sometimes you are here just to hear one prayer that we're going to offer that's going to get you through your week. And sometimes you're here for none of that. You're just here because there's one person that you need to connect with so that you can edify them and they can edify you. But if you come Sunday after Sunday, you will find that all of those things happen more and more often every single Sunday. Worship is an occasion for us to bring who we are and what we have to bear. And we are all supposed to be different. Can you imagine if there were 250 of me in here? I know, I get heartburned just thinking about it. I don't know that there's that much storage space for shoes and crozet. That may be purgatory, I'm not sure. We're not all supposed to be the same. We're not all supposed to be carbon copies of each other. We are meant to be different. We serve a God who has revealed God's self to us in the Trinity, saying, I am so vast that one person is not enough to convey who and what I am to you. Therefore, I come to you as God the Father, and then again as God the Son, and then again as God the Holy Spirit, because only then with the three can we begin to fathom how incredible our God is. So why should our worship be all of us trying to be the same introverted person? I'm tapping out. I can't even do that. Instead, we come here to be who we are called to be. We come here to get through the week because we know that there are people here who care and are invested in us. We come here because we have something to give. Now, early, early in the morning on Thursday, one of our beloved church members, Myra Swan, passed away. And Myra used to come and sit right over here at the 930 worship service. And Myra had a ministry of hugs. And I'm not even kidding you when I tell you that woman had a ministry of hugs. And she wouldn't come to you and go like, Sarah, you need a hug. She would come to me and she would say, I need a hug. And you'd be like, all right, Myra. And you're like, you know what? This actually is doing something for me. This is working. And so every single person that came to know Myra at 930 knew about her ministry of hugs. When I said that, you know what people said? Amen. Amen, her ministry of hugs. And some people go, ministry of hugs? You can't preach hugs. You know, hugs aren't going to like sing the doxology over here. But that's what Myra brought. And her absence is felt by everyone who no longer gets that ministry of hug. We are here to bring what we have. And we don't judge based upon what people have. That's not what it's about. It's not about all of us trying to reach some unattainable, a way to sit without shifting in our seats or clearing our throats or getting bored and showing it to other people. Or the other thing that I catch you all doing at 11 o'clock is you're trying to look at people, but you're trying to do it without like being creepy. (laughs) Just turn around and look at them. My gosh. Worship should be where you can laugh and be free, okay? You know the standards the world has for you out there. Emily Post is not in the Bible. That's an out there thing, right? Here, you should be free. And here, you are free. So look it. 
Cover your bits and pieces. Always cover your bits and pieces. But be free. Be free. It's important that we are able to be authentically who we are as disciples of Jesus Christ here. And if we are making each other feel uncomfortable because somebody doesn't fit our idea of how somebody should dress or I really don't like the way they sing or whatever the deal is, the only person we are hurting is Jesus. We're hurting Jesus because Jesus empowered every one of us to be who we are in worship. And Jesus has called all of us here. So if we start critiquing people and encapsulating them and encaging them so that they can't be free to be who they're called to be for Jesus Christ, we are hurting Jesus. We are strangling the life that Jesus puts into worship. We should let people be themselves here. I mean, if you want to come up and test that, I will be happy to let you test that. The kids test it all the time. Did you see? Excuse me, I'm four. (laughs) Darn right you are. And the kids are getting more and more comfortable. Do you know the most common comment that we get from people visiting our church, especially at 930, is I cannot believe how many children you have. I cannot believe how many children you have. Because in this world... Not coming to church because of your children is a way of life. It is a sacrifice to get your kids up and get them dressed. It is a sacrifice to choose not to engage a culture that books your kids at 8 a.m. on Sunday morning. And they repeatedly, time and time again, Sunday after Sunday, young families make the choice, the conscientious decision to dedicate themselves to be here. And they do that because of you. They do that because you make them feel it is worth it. That is the power of worship. You can make people feel valued and loved. You can make them feel like they are a part of something that is bigger than a soccer league. Part of something that has more importance than a traveling musical group. You help people understand that they begin and end their week with the God who created them, loved them, forgave them, and is willing to do it all over again every single week. And only worship can preach that. Only worship. And so we come here and we do what we do. And sometimes it is hard to get out of bed in the morning. I know it is. And sometimes it is hard to say, I'm not going to be able to do what my friends and my family want me to do. And sometimes it is really painful socially to recognize all the things that you could be doing. But you choose to be here. And brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, God always chooses to be here with you. Always. When you come here, no matter how many people fill the pews, No matter how many people are leading worship, God comes here and meets you here and promises that no matter what else is waiting for you outside of these doors, no matter how bad your boss is, and Linda's is brutal, (laughs) 
no matter how bad it is, you started off your week with Jesus and you will end it with Jesus. So let us commit to having vibrant, passionate worship, not always on the inside. Let us commit to letting people be who they are and growing into what Christ is calling them to be so that they feel ready to go out there and take back God's world and to invite all of those who feel like there is no place in this world where they could be loved or valued to bring them back here to see there is a sanctuary and a place with your name on it. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.